Turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter 7. You guys, good job. Wednesday night. Oh, my goodness gracious. Can't believe it. But I, there you are. You're here. And um, it's a miracle for a Wednesday night Bible study uh, these days. And I'm so proud of you. Good job for being here. Revelation 7. I have to say, this is one of my most favorite chapters in Revelation. I love Revelation chapter 7. I'm going to give a title, God's Protection and Power Over Followers of Jesus. Revelation chapter 7. Uh, it really is a light amidst the darkness of what is identified as the tribulation, which generally is a seven-year period, and it really worsens three and a half years into the tribulation. We're talking about the last seven years prior to when the Lord returns and sets his feet on planet Earth. And think of it this way. Think of it like all throughout history, uh, godless decisions have been snowballing. You know, we talk a lot about wrath. So, and I say it all the time, biblical wrath is not that God is red-faced. Like when my dad would get mad, this is kind of, his nose would flare a little bit. If he gets a little upset, I'm a great father. I got to be with him Monday. But, uh, and rarely did he get mad, but he'd get mad sometimes. And, it, you know, if he's upset, it's his nose is flaring so weird, you know, you know he's upset, right? So when you think, hey, wrath is like God's red face, is he flipping out? No, like, well, he gets angry, but wrath speaks, and we talk about it all the time, of the consequences of being outside the will of God. Like you make righteous decisions, it honors God's good for you, ends up shaping your own life. If you make decisions outside of the will of God, has consequences, the wages of sin is death. And so when you think of like this period in Revelation from chapter 4 to chapter 19, you ought to think like this is a period where the snowballing of godless decisions and actions throughout history are culminating. That's how, that's how I see it. It's like embodying Romans 1, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is made known in them, for God has shown it to them. It's like here is the authoritative diagnosis of men. Here's why we have problems. Suppress the truth of God. Suppress conscience. Bad things take place. And the Bible says you have this accumulation. Wrath is a word that speaks not only of breakdown, but it's something that accumulates to the very day of wrath, which is the ultimate judgment of the Lord on planet earth and ultimately after the thousand year reign of Christ, which is known as the great white throne judgment. I was just saying all of this because as we just read chapter six, you know, last week and studied it, you have what taking place? I really think kind of a synopsis, a synopsis of the tribulation period lining up with Matthew chapter 24. I'm just going to remind you real quick, you had this white horse writer who looks like he's a good guy, but he's not a good guy. False peace, he's going out to conquer. Jesus talked about false Christ. Then you have a red horse, which is war. So if you have deception and leadership, dictatorship, generally it leads to war, black horse famine, pale horse death. And then in chapter six, you have the righteous impacted by this. You have martyrs under the altar, worldwide chaos. 
How do you fit in chapter seven? Well, there's differing views on how you fit it in. But I mean, it's not like it stands on its own because you need to see it in context. But what you have in chapter seven is this light of the fact that God, now hear this, seals. He, he has special protection and identifies specific ownership over what are identified as 144,000 the, from the tribes of Israel. That's like, I'm going to seal you. I'm going to protect you. You're mine. Servants, that we're going to unpack this. And, and no doubt, this unique group of individuals has a major impact during the tribulation period. So that's one of the reasons why I'm just saying, it's like one of my, I, I love this. It's like God's unique protection over those who are following him, identified by the 144, 12 tribes of Israel. We want to unpack this. So let's start here. Look here in verse one when he says, after these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Okay, John obviously is having a vision. He's caught up in a type of spiritual time machine. He's a heavenly reporter. Angels, he sees angels, four corners of the earth. Does this suggest that the earth is flat, no. I mean, you know, like there's advertisements for our, the Marines who celebrate their presence in the four corners of the earth. So it'd be like north, south, east, and, can someone tell me? West. That's right. Four corners of the earth. In fact, the Bible's actually explicit, identifying that the earth is round. Isaiah 40, 22, the Lord sits above the circle of the earth. So what John is seeing here, he's just like north, south, east. In a moment, he's going to see this angel coming from the rising of the sun, from the east, who's coming to seal 144,000. We're going to pack it in just a little bit, identifying ownership from the Lord and special protection and also influence during the thousand-year reign. Oh, excuse me, during the... Uh, no during the tribulation, and then intimate into the thousand year reign of Jesus. So look at verse 2. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, from the rising of the sun, having the seal, speaks of protection and ownership, will unpack it, of the living God. He cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And the idea here is twofold. One is it's a picture that God is in control of nature. He is going to ultimately use nature to demonstrate wrath, break down judgment. And we also see here he seals, sets apart a unique army of righteous individuals who follow Jesus. And when I, we're going to unpack, I keep saying we're going to unpack the 144,000 because we are, but he, he seals like these brothers and sisters in Christ, they've been redeemed from the earth. They're followers of Jesus. But these guys and gals, uh, you know, 
great influencers. I mean, you know, they talk about influencers on social media. The, the ones that are going to be sealed here, monster influencers during the tribulation period. Now look at verse 4. I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of, can someone tell me the next word? Israel were sealed. Interesting. Look, picture here. John, you know, we've just gone through chapter 6. We mentioned this unique leader going out to conquer. We believe he's the Antichrist. He takes peace from the earth. You have war. You have famine. You know, we know the Antichrist ultimately is going to go after Israel. We're going to unpack this in the in the weeks to come, months to come. He goes after believers as well, both of which are a threat to his regime and things. And then some see chapter 7 as a parenthesis of what is taking place, not behind the scenes, but what is taking place, you know, during this period that in chapter 6, which is a general picture of the tribulation, many people believe. But you have during this time, clearly the Lord in control, and he's identifying his 144,000 that he protects, that he uses in a very unique way. Now, before we unpack it, before we unpack it, I just want to remind you of a few things. Just context. Chapter 1. Just, ch- just real quick. Chapter 1. John sees the glorified Christ. He, see, he sees the Son of Man in glory. You know, John, of course, penned 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 where he identifies that which is from the beginning he actually saw, and he handled the word of life. John, so John knew Jesus up close and personal, obviously. He also saw Jesus transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. In Revelation 1, he sees Jesus in glory, the Son of Man, the King who is coming. He is so in awe of this, he falls down as if he's dead. So that's chapter one. Then he sees, check this out, you know, Jesus up close and personal as he's making his way through the ecclesias, the local assemblies. That's chapter two and three. And we just ponder this. I mean, think about this. And think about if you were reading this in the first century, because, you know, believers like us were reading this, and they were reading about specific messages. If you're in Ephesus, well, Jesus gave a specific message to, to Ephesus. And then Smyrna and Pergamos and, and uh, Thyatira and Sardis and so forth. And, and what you see here is that, oh my goodness gracious, the king himself has taken intentional interest and he's totally active amidst like these local ecclesias. It's like he's not walking in the midst of Caesar's household. He's walking in the midst of his church. Can I hear a big amen to that? I mean, say, like, well, what's the point? I mean, the point is, think of how that speaks to the value of your life, of my life, of our lives. Um, beautiful picture there. And no doubt, if you're living in the first century, and even today, how encouraging that is. Hey, listen, when it comes to the Congress, and we have a new Speaker of the House, I understand he's a believer. So this is good news, right? But you know, thank God for the, for the Congress and the Senate and so forth and the White House, but there's nothing like God's house. There's nothing like the local ecclesia. 
So it's like, you know, we're reading this. It's like, okay, I'm trying to figure all this out. Hey, see the big picture. Jesus is in the midst of, of his own church. Chapter 4, he's caught up in a type of spiritual time machine. Watch this. Front and center becomes the throne of God. Oh my goodness gracious, there's the throne. Round the throne, holy, holy, holy. Cries of that he's indescribable because the Lord is. Thank God for this. Watch this. Then a scroll. There's this like what comes into focus is this unique scroll. Um, like a Torah scroll, and it's written on the front and the back, and there's this drama, and no one's stepping forth to take hold of it. John is weeping. You know, it's like he's just weeping. This is not a dream. I, I don't know if you've ever had a dream where it's whatever drama you're going through, you just get really emotionally involved, you know, and you're like, oh, my goodness, this is moving me. But John is seeing this. This scroll, we talked about it, kind of like the title deed to the earth. And it's like no one opens it. It's like, man, the future has a big question mark over it. In fact, there is no hope for the future unless someone takes the scroll. And the drama is Jesus takes it out of the right hand of the one who's sitting on the throne. And it tells us, hey, Jesus takes control of the future. Can I hear another big amen to that? That's encouraging, man. I'm thinking about like even the dynamics taking place in the Middle East, and we just pray there'd be good resolve and evil would be rid, for sure. But I was with my mother, who I love so much. I was with her Monday. She's 89, but she, and we were chatting and things. And my dad, oh, he's super lucid. And um, I mean, much more than our president. Anyway, sorry, sorry that. I just had to say that. So, but you know, may God help him. May God help him and bless him and things like that. Anyways, so... I was thinking, my goodness, Dad, you could hold a better press conference, man. I mean, he's really super loose. But anyways, it's like you know, we were chatting, and then my mom would turn to my dad and said, See, Josh, I'm telling you this could be World War III, you know? It's like she kept turning to my dad, See, Josh, it's like, I, I'm hoping I'm not bringing that bad of news, but we were just chatting about these things. All of that to simply say is like, hey, the Lord is in control. He's taken the title deed. He's taken the scroll, Right? Then chapter 6, the four horsemen, and now chapter 7. Let's go back to verse 4. I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. So the big question is, how do you wrap your mind around this unique bunch of individuals. There's 144,000 of the 12 tribes of Israel. It raises the question, hey, can the 12 tribes even be identified, right? Genealogical records have all been destroyed. The 10 tribes were taken by the Assyrians and, quote, lost, or have they been lost? I mean, Jesus, Jesus said the apostles would judge the 12 tribes of Israel. So it's like, you know, the 12 tribes, I mean, 10 to the north, had a very challenging history. You know, did they bleed into obscurity? Can the 12 tribes be identified? I mean, Jesus told the apostles. He said, one day you're going to judge the 12 tribes. Jesus' half-brother, Yaakov, James, one of my most favorite books, he writes his, his book, to 
the Dia Zipporah to the dispersion of Jews amidst the world to the 12 tribes. And then, you know, we started our Sunday morning message by going to chapter 21 of Revelation, to, you know, to the end of the book of, of literally the Bible. And, and we, we saw there that into eternity that the new Jerusalem actually has gates and the gates are after the 12 tribes of Israel. Are you guys tracking with me here? So it's like, just raises like, well, I mean, I, I thought like it's kind of obscure. Who are the 12 tribes? Well, I'll tell you this, they're identified here. I mean, it's an interesting list. It, it's, it's a list that has, for example, Levi in verse 7 mentioned. You know, the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were still of the tribe of Levi. Levi's not generally mentioned in the 12 tribes. You have the mention of the tribe of Joseph generally you know, you have Joseph's sons that are mentioned, Ephraim and Manasseh. Dan is omitted here. I don't want to spend a lot of time getting in the weeds of it, other than it's just like, well, it, it, it is what it is. It's like, you know, why, why a little different than what you would find in the Tanakh and the Hebrew Scriptures? I have no idea. I'm not worried about it. I mean, I know the Lord knows what he's doing here. I, the elephant in the room, hear this is that when it tells us here the children of Israel were sealed, 12 tribes, children of Israel sealed, the elephant in the room is Israel lives. That's the elephant in the room. It's like, hey, um, you know, Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, and I'm just going through, you know, verse 5 down to verse 8, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin. The, The elephant in the room, and don't miss it, is Israel lives. And as I mentioned in chapter 21, the new Jerusalem. So now you're talking after tribulation, after the reign of Jesus, we'll be addressing these things. Then you have eternity. You have a new Jerusalem, heavenly Jerusalem. It's a city, actually has gates, you know, that are identified. uh, The 12 tribes of Israel are named after these gates. Look, good news is Israel lives, and Israel will never be destroyed. I mean, what a unique history, right? What a unique roller coaster, and it's still bumpy today. Hey, you know, Bibi Netanyahu said today, he's the prime minister of Israel, he said today, Israel is fighting for their existence. I mean, it's like, well, I mean, should we take that concretely when he says that? Um, is it, is this, I mean, how seriously do we take that? Well, you know, he knows more than what we know, obviously. He knows more clearly the dynamics at play and the nature of the beast that is after Israel. We have some idea. But look, he's been trying to warn the West about Iran, uh, I, I feel like, all my life, practically. Um, and of course, we say it all the time. I mean, you know, Hitler believed in a superior race. The Iranian leadership believes in a superior faith. And, and they want to see destruction. They, they believe in an Islamic new world order. It's insane what is in the waters of even our own culture and throughout the world. Just yesterday, the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres said, it is important to also recognize the attacks by Hamas did not happen 
in a vacuum, he said. They get a lot of pushback for that, and so we should. Because he went on to say the Palestinian people have been subjected to 56 years of suffocating occupation. It's just time out right there. Just just, hold, hold on a second. Why did he just mix Hamas with the Palestinian issue? No, no, seriously, it's smoke and mirrors. Hamas exists, exists to destroy Israel. They believe in an, they believe in an Islamic world order. Israel is just the beginning. Look, I, 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 you know, I don't know if I've mentioned this recently, but we've had a son of one of the, one of the founding fathers of Hamas in our, in our home a few times. A son at our kitchen table. There he was, just sitting like, where is Son of Mossab Yusan Yusef, who, who, was, who walked with his dad every day on the Temple Mount, to the mosque in Jerusalem, had no idea. Jerusalem had Israeli roots or Jewish roots, had no idea, grew up in a culture that, you know, suppressed the truth of Israel's history. And he, he and you'll see him in the press these days, he's very clear. I mean, Hamas hates the Palestinian people. Hamas is not working, Hamas is not interested in some negotiations for two-state. They, they want to revive the, the final solution against the Jews. That's just the reality. So, look, when you have the, the UN leader, you know, bringing this up, the Palestinian people have been subjected to 50 years of suffocating occupation. You understand that Israel is not occupying Gaza. They left Gaza for one thing. So when you start mixing, you mix these, these issues, you're going to get an obscure picture to what really reality is. And, and it's not to be hyperbolic. I mean, look, who, who likes to even talk like this? And I know we do often, but it's like, it's a critical, though, that there's a courage to confront evil. And, and I think one of the reasons we don't like to do it is because we know there's a cost to do it. We realize, oh, you know, do I really want to have a bad day today? I mean, it's gonna, it's gonna, because it's going to require an effort. It's going to require a response. I mean, Look, there's concern in our borders about what's coming across our border. Who wants to talk about this? I don't want to talk about it, but in some ways it's like I'm irresponsible not to. I mean, the the daily caller, you know, there's exclusive feds warn that Hamas Hezbollah could be crossing southern border, could be. I mean, just in the last few months, what have we, over 150 people we picked up that were on our terrorist watch list. Now, why am I mentioning, not to, I'm not trying to freak anybody out here. What I'm just trying to mention is, is that Israel is on the front lines of bad ideas and the front lines of evil. So even if someone did not stand with Israel for theological reasons, you should stand with Israel for moral reasons. You should pass that test because, man, if there's not moral clarity as a result of what's happened, you know, as we talk about Sunday morning, the demon is super deep. And then the Wall Street Journal records the Turkish president, Adrojan, said Hamas is not a terrorist organization. It is a liberation group, the Mohajadeen, waging a battle to protect its lands and people. It's like, oi vey. You know, Turkey is a, is a NATO ally. And yet Turkey hosts members of Hamas in its territory. Prophetically, Ezekiel 38 says that Turkey will actually join a coalition with Russia 
and join a coalition with Iran, and they will come against Israel. And they will suffer a mortal blow as a result. So they will not be successful. How many times have I said, who likes talking about these things, you know? But it's just a reality. Here's the thing. The point of this is, Israel lives. You know, Zechariah 12, 12 says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about. I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all the people. All that burden themselves, it shall be cut in pieces. All the nations of the world will be gathered against it. Zechariah 12, 9, And it shall come to pass in that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Israel, Jerusalem, and I'll pour upon the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. I'm just mentioning these things to give perspective because when I read Revelation 7, what I, one of the things I love about it is clearly Israel lives. God is true to his covenants and promises and, and there's special protection here. 144,000 also speak of an awakening in Messiah. In other words, these are believers. We're going to unpack this the more in just a second here, but one of the questions you have to ask is, I mean, how did these 144,000 come to faith in Yeshua? They're redeemed from the earth. They're believers. They're, they're worshiping the true and living God, the Lord God of Israel, and the Messiah, and the Lamb. It's like, how, how did they come to know the Lord? I, I think, I, I, I personally believe that, you know, generations prior to this, and look, I think we're closer to this than ever before, is playing a role of planting the truth of the gospel in the souls and the heart of our Jewish friends. Um, so, I mean, in such a time as this, we should be asking ourselves, what's the playbook look like for us? It should be Romans 1, 16 and 17, the gospel. Paul says, I'm ashamed of power of God to everyone who believes, to the Jew and to the Gentile. A lot of people see here 144,000, uh, these servants that are sealed, as symbolic. Also, it speaks on another level. I don't think it is just symbolic. I think it's concrete. But it speaks of battalions of God's armies. Uh, and that ultimately are going to be returning with the Lord to rule and reign with the Lord on planet Earth. You guys, turn over with me to Re Revelation 14. There's more. There's more we need to unpack about the 144,000. Six realities here. We'll go back to chapter 7 in a second. Revelation 14, 1 through 5, identifies the 144,000 in, in, in essentially a sixfold manner. One, he says, I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion. And with him, 144,000. Okay, pause right there. That's a beautiful picture. I just love it. For one, Zion is Jerusalem. This is a picture of 144,000 standing in Jerusalem with the Lamb. Notice a father's name written on their heads. It speaks of ownership. In this, way, in this way, it also speaks to every believer because 
And let me read this to you. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, In you also who trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, listen, you were sealed. You are sealed by the spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance to the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. That's a mouthful, but I just want to quickly like fly over it. I mean, well, we, you know, we're followers of the Lord. He indwells us. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9 says, if anyone does not have the Spirit, he is not his. It, in this culture, to seal something spoke of ownership, like sealing a letter, you know, with a, with a, a, a wax stamp. Thank you so much. So there's the idea is that, hey, we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Evidence of the fact that we, like our king's kids, is many things. One is 2 Thessalonians 2.13, God shows you through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And evidence that we're children of God and that, you know, we're the Lord's and we're sons and daughters of the King is the work of His Spirit in our life bringing sanctification we are growing more like the Lord. The Bible also says the fruit of the Spirit, love. There's also security. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and that now you are children of the Father. Meaning this, look, sealed ownership, right? Sanctification, growth more like the Lord. Sense of assurance, his Spirit bears witness with our spirit. We are the Lord's and the Bible says we have, we've, been, we've experienced a foretaste of what it's going to be like when we're with the Lord in glory. This is the idea of a guarantee of our inheritance. Um, the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. What is, what is, what is the guarantee? It's the Spirit. The Spirit is like an engagement ring that the Lord gives us, we experience Him, we taste, we taste a little bit what it's going to be like in His presence forever, which is so beautiful. And it is a guarantee, the work of His Spirit, that one day we're going to see Him face to face. Can I hear another big amen to that, right? Look at verse 3. Redeemed from the earth. They honored God with their bodies, keeping themselves from sexual immorality. In verse 4, the, the 144,000 follow the Lamb wherever they go. They follow the Lamb. I love it. Verse 4 tells us these are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Um, look, up, up to this point, the term Lamb well, I know in Revelation it's used like 24 times. Uh, but it has been used numerous times so far. And I, and I, and I, want, to, I want you to, to see the truth of the Lord and theology or doctrine. See it like a song. And, or, you know, on a piano. And it's clear Revelation is playing certain keys and, 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 and the writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is pressing on certain keys and notes. 
There's no doubt about it. And one is this, this, the reality of the Lamb. Um, in Revelation 5, 7, I just want to remind you, the Lamb takes control of the future. In Revelation 6, 1, the Lamb opens the seals. In Revelation 6, 16, there's the wrath of the Lamb. In Revelation 7, 10, salvation belongs to them. We'll get to that. In, in Revelation 7, 14, white robes, blood of the Lamb. In Revelation 7, 17, the Lord will shepherd believers and wipe away every tear. He's right in their midst. The lamb is right in their midst. So it's like, okay, well, what is the significance of the lamb? I mean, it's huge. I, it, the, the meaning of it is beyond something that's concrete. Like, look up here for a second. If, like, we were to bring up a lamb up here and just go, you know what? Okay, the Bible says when John saw, you know, the throne of God, he sees in the midst of the throne a lamb. It was like, we brought up a lamb, a four-legged creature, and it was like, here's a literal lamb. The reality is the meaning, the meaning of the lamb transcends what is literal. The, the meaning of the truth of it transcends what is literal. In fact, I mean, it's this idea, is, that, is John seeing literally a four-legged creature? It says as if he was slain. I mean, what, what is he seeing there? Well, I'll tell you this, it has to transcend, bear with me, it has to transcend that which is concrete or literal. The meaning of it is greater than it's a four-legged creature and it's furry and it's humble and it's really cute. It, has to, it d definitely transcends that. And, and it speaks to the fact that you can have figurative language with literal truth. And in this case, the meaning of lamb is a meaning that has kind of snowballed. It's had this cumulative layering of the revelation of God in Scripture, going all the way back to the Passover. And even further than that, the Bible says he's the, Jesus is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Like, so the point I'm trying to make is this, is that, hey, um, followers of the Lamb just so speaks of the unfolding plan of God. Yes, yeah, it refers to Jesus. And Jesus said, you know, the Passover we talk about all the time, right? I mean, he identified himself as the central figure of the unfolding plan of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, as John identified him when he first saw him. The, the point is this, hey, like, you, you could not be in a more secure place in your life having had your sins washed by the blood of the, can someone tell me, lamb, and your followers of the lamb. It's like it speaks of the security of God's plan, period. In fact, Revelation 12, 11 says, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. So just listen, you guys, please hear me. World's going crazy, all kinds of that. But look, we're in Christ. And it's like when we read Revelation, oh, you see this lamb. Yeah, what does it speak of? Well, the meaning transcends something far greater than just a literal concrete lamb. It means much more than that. It's like this cumulative revelation from eternity past to eternity future and an application. And it just tells you, like, if you're in, if you're in the lamb's book, of life, you are secure, man. No matter what, it's like you are secure. These 144,000 followed 
the Lamb. And in verse 5, they speak the truth. They speak the truth. In verse 5, And their mouth was found no deceit, and they are without fault before the throne of God. Hey, go back to uh, Revelation. Go back to Revelation chapter 7, you guys. And the reason is, is because right after the 144,000 are identified, 12 tribes of Israel, we got a little bit more insight to these unique 144,000 in Revelation 14, and of course we'll study it in the weeks to come. Right after he sees this, he sees this multitude. And, and you know, many Bible students believe there's a cause and effect connection here between the fact that in verse 3, thanks for jumping around here. Look, just go back to verse 3. He says, till we have sealed the servants of our God and therefore These are servants of God, children of Israel, sealed, ownership, fathers, they're in, the, in, in, in the Lord, they're the heavenly fathers, okay? And then to verse 9, he looks and behold a great multitude which no one can number of all the nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the, what's the next word, you guys? Lamb. Oh, clothed with white robes, palm branches. Oh, such loaded ideas, I love it. Crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the, everybody say it, lamb. Oh, yeah, wait. Is this implying that 144,000 kosher Billy Grahams of the day, no, just kidding, you know, play a big role in the salvation of innumerable amount of people? Some see a connection there. I mean, it's like, hey, I, I, I hope so. I mean, I can see a connection. I believe there actually is a connection. So during the tribulation period, you have you have the Lord raising up these unique individuals from the tribes of Israel. Israel lives on. They've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe the Lord uses them in the big way, in an evangelistic manner, because the next thing he sees is a multitude that cannot be numbered. Are you guys with me on this? Either way, however you want to put it together, like connect it, this is actually really good news. It just speaks to the fact that in Christ, there's unique power in Christ. There's unique protection. And how loaded, I mean, you guys pick up there. Please go back to verse 9 and, and notice, notice what's in their hand. There's a numerable group in their hand. They have palm branches. I'm so proud of the Rise Church, our precious brothers and sisters. I mean, because we were just talking about a time period associated with leafy palm branches. You guys remember this? We're talking about tabernacles. And, and if you're here for the first time, you think, tabernacles, what are you talking about? Well, I mean, just, just real quick, I mean, tabernacles, seven-day period, take your kids outside, build little booths outside, like little tents, but make it out of organic, you know, palm branches if you can. Go outside, and then seven days, I'll camp out there and, and like hang out with your kids and just talk about how God's been faithful to Israel in history, how, how he transitioned, transitioned them from Egypt into the promised land. So he's in the desert transitioning them. God was with them. And, and, and interestingly, so watch this. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. What are they waving? 
palm branches. They're thinking, okay, this festival of tabernacles, yeah, it celebrates the past faithfulness of God, but it's also prophetic. Zechariah 14, 16 tells us one day the nations of the world will go up to Jerusalem to worship the king during tabernacles. This, this, these palm branches are associated with this time. Are you guys with me on this? Very beautiful. The codes here, the weightiness of these references are huge, beautiful. You know, Peter, James, and John, they see Jesus, you know, turning nuclear white. Father speaks. You know, Elijah and Moses appear, and they're thinking, I'm convinced, they're thinking, oh, my goodness, the kingdom is materializing here. You know, I hate to say this, but on October 7th, the terrible 9-11 there in Israel, that was during tabernacles. It's like, well, what, what is, is there some connection? Well, I, I mean, there is actually. There is a connection because I believe those same demons, and they're demons, demons who influence just demons coming against Israel to destroy Israel. Well, that's just a little micro picture of a macro picture because the nations of the world will come against Jerusalem. The nations of the world will try to destroy Jerusalem. And Jesus said, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would survive. And it was, it was during tabernacles, you know, just palm there. So look, I believe, you know, what John is seeing, the security of the believer in heaven, white robes, secure, singing salvation belongs to the Lord, praise God, nothing to fear, you know, he conquered death, we're secure in Christ. Can I hear a big amen to that? And we're like, what are we doing? Like, we, you know, we got palm branches in our hand. I just, I love it. Like Jesus said during tabernacles, if you're thirsty, come unto me and drink. On the last day of the great feast, the great salvation, the Hoshana Rabbah. So look, the layers of meaning here is absolutely beautiful. The number of individuals, as I mentioned here, cannot be numbered. And thank God for that. I mean, you know, just like tons and tons and tons of believers, you know, in the presence of Almighty God. Spurgeon said, the great multitude which no man could number, the great gather of the Gentile multitude redeemed by blood, numbered by God, never to be numbered by men, being like the sand on the seashore, seashore innumerable. Look, look at verse 11. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped. So I'm almost done here. And I think you can believe me this time when I say that. But I just want to say, look, in heaven, numerable, praising God, branches, just a beautiful little thing here. You have, so you have believers before the throne. And they are being used by God to trigger angelic worship, which is interesting. Now you have the angels worshiping in response to believers worshiping, saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That's a lot of blessing there. Glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, 
might. At least six. Six unique, what, celebrations of awe. And then one of the elders said, saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to them, sir, you know. So he said to me, well, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And therefore, they are, number one, before the throne of God. Number two, serve him day and night in his temple. Number three, he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Number four, verse 16, they shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them anymore nor any heat. Number five, for the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. Number six, lead them to living fountains of water. It's another tabernacle, John 7, you know, reference as far as I'm concerned. Number seven, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes.